0: All content published by Your Brain on Science is solely the opinions of the authors and does not reflect the opinions of any parties affiliated with them or any additional third parties.
1: Welcome to the first Journal Club episode of Your Brain on Science for the year 2023. Woo-hoo. Uh, we decided to go with a really cool paper. T- I'm really excited about this paper titled Single-Dose Psilocybin-Assisted Therapy in Major Depressive Disorder, a Placebo-Controlled Double-Blind Randomized Clinical Trial by Roths et al. This is a group out of Switzerland. Uh, so let's get right into it. Yes, this paper is really, really exciting,
0: um, and it's a little different than some of the papers we've seen, and, and we'll talk about why in a second, but um, yeah, so this is from some big names in the field, including doctors Katrin Preller and Franz Vollenweider, who have done amazing research to further what we know about psychedelics. Um, so yeah, like Zarmin mentioned in the title, it says this study is a randomized, placebo-controlled, double-blind paradigm. Um, and there are seven follow-up visits for participants. And the N is uh, 52, so there's 52 participants. And something that uh, we wanted to note was that they're all at uh, level C2 for German. So this is really important because, um, you know, they're in Switzerland, and they're administering these scales in in German. So when they're conducting all this uh, stuff for this study, keep in mind it's all done in German. And when you're administering these scales you want your participants to be at equivalent comprehension levels so this is something that um we thought was a great addition and super important to note
1: yeah um because the scales are all you know like self-report so if you have one individual interpreting a word incorrectly or perhaps is reading the sentence and not picking up the context of it something that a more advanced uh sort of speaker of the language would be able to pick up then that's a disparity in in sort of the the way that they're responding that's gonna be a confound in your work. So the fact that they they did this um I think was really awesome. Uh and yeah Elena you point out that this is in Switzerland. So this could could have been German, French, or Italian, right? Mm-hmm. Um so the fact that they also screen for this specific language at this specific level and C2 just refers to like a level of, of fluency and this is I think used in language uh yeah it's like a comprehension level. Exactly, exactly. Yes, thank you.
0: So I mentioned this paper does things a little bit differently Um, and this is why I think it's really cool because it looks at the effects of psilocybin assisted therapy but with a little twist so their Mm -hmm. placebo in this study isn't just another inactive dose of psilocybin it's not another active compound like dextromorphan or THC or anything Um, or what have you, but it's actually the therapy sessions on their own. And there's been a lot of talk about this within the field about like, oh, well, is it just the therapy that's having an effect? Or is the psilocybin actually adding something greater to um, just having sessions on their own? And so this is providing us some insight actually into how the commitment to sessions, which Zarmin's mentioned before, um, and how like the overall environment might be playing a role in the psychedelic-assisted therapy complex.
1: Yeah. So this, and we'll actually be able to get an answer to this, right, in one of their plots. Um, but I think this is something that's so interesting because it, imagine we do see... I'm saying imagine, but like, let's wait and see, right? Uh, imagine we do see a change with just the therapy therapy sessions on their own. What's like different about these trials, Elena? These individuals have agreed to come in um, in a prescribed, you know, like amount of time, like every few weeks, whatever the whatever the schedule might be for that clinical trial. But the amount of resources that are poured into these individuals are so incredible, right? Like there are multiple people sitting there helping you integrate your sessions, helping you with just the psychotherapy component, whatever that, that might be. And it's so individualized and people are getting the attention that they deserve. I think this is just like, you know, would be a, an amazing point for what mental health sort of therapy treatment needs to look like for individuals, right? It's just needs so many resources that I think something like this results from this study. I, we'll talk about them in a second. Um yeah, yeah, I was help advocate say, for, this- right?
0: This is something that I definitely want to discuss uh, at the end of the episode once we go through all the results. So,
1: yeah, okay. keep okay.
0: listening if you want to know our thoughts. <laughs>
1: The primary endpoints were defined as changes from visit two, which is going to be five days before the dosing session, um, to visit seven, which is 14 days after the dosing session. Um, and this is going to be on two scales, the Madras and the BDI. And this is going to tell you something about depressive symptomatology, this, the severity of an individual's uh, symptoms. The Madras is a clinician-rated instrument, uh, and it's actually one of the most commonly used symptom severity scales uh, and as I just mentioned this evaluates the efficacy um, of the antidepressant treatment and also tells us something about um, you know how how these how the symptomatology has changed over time yeah. uh, A clinically relevant response on the Madras scale is going to be defined as either a 50% reduction in the sum score or a decrease below some predetermined threshold, uh, which is less than 10 points, um, or it could be both things. Um, So that's just, it might be a little bit complicated, but um, there's a couple of ways to define how something is clinically significant, clinically beneficial on the mattress scale. Um, Now, the other thing that I mentioned, the other scale that I mentioned is the BDI, the Beck Depression Inventory. Um, And this is also one of the most commonly used self-report questionnaires. Um, The cutoff for remission when the individual is uh, considered to be in remission is less than 10 points uh, of change. And the criteria for clinically relevant responses are uh, calculated exactly the same as the mattress scale.
0: I want to just point out quickly um, that the mattresses, what clinicians use to diagnose people often, well not diagnose sorry, let me rephrase that the Madras is a clinician rated like scale so that's what Mm -hmm. clinicians will use to see if a treatment is working for a patient over time whereas the difference between that and the, the Beck inventory is that That one, um, like Zarmin mentioned, is self-reported. And so that's um, the patient or the participant is rating their own symptoms versus the clinician rating what their symptoms are presenting as. So I think that's just really um, important to highlight. So they're looking at both aspects of that.
1: Yeah, amazing point. Yeah. So you're getting it from both perspectives, right? So the perspective of the self of the patient, um, and also someone that is providing their care and has been able to sort of monitor them, I think, more or less, you know, objectively throughout this entire process. So really great point there. Um, okay, so that was those were our primary endpoints. Uh, so we there was also secondary endpoints. Um, so for the secondary endpoints, there was the SCL90R, uh, which is which assesses um, subjective impairments that emerged in the last seven days prior to assessment. Uh, this was, was administered at medical screenings and at 14 days after a drug administration. So this actually assesses. any sort of subjective psychological changes that the individual might be experiencing. So um, perhaps like symptoms that they shouldn't be having, you know, some concerning psychological changes uh, or in the other direction. So that's what we would be getting with the SCL-90R. (laughs) Yeah, mainly
0: focusing on like things like related to distress or aspects of psychopathology. So making sure that patients aren't developing a psychosis during the sessions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the next scale was the HAM-A, the Hamilton Anxiety Rating Scale. Uh, And this is a clinician rated scale. So from the perspective of the clinician, which evaluates anxiety states and changes um, over time. And this is going to be assessed at every uh, study visit that they come in for. Uh, The next one is the Clinical Global Impression, the CGI. Uh, And this is a widely used uh, instrument in estimating the overall severity of psychopathology. And this was also administered at each study visit. Okay, and the next one was the Columbia Suicidality Severity Rating Scale, um, and this is used for the quantification of suicide uh, suicidal ideation, um, and it's used really for the early detection of any potential suicidal behavior. And this is, you know, really really important to have in something uh, like I think these trials where drugs with sort of unknown outcomes for some people. Um, Can happen, right? So, yeah. uh, And then the next one that we all know and love, I think the classic. The classic. Um, The Altered States of Consciousness Questionnaire. Uh, So this is one of the, I think, most commonly used in psychedelics research, right? It's a self-rated questionnaire that quantifies the subjective effects of the drug. Um, And for this study, it was administered at the end of the administration day. So around 360 minutes after administration. This is going to tell us something about um, how subjectively important this experience was for an individual, right? Were they feeling all, sort of changes in their conscious perception of the world? Were they experiencing hallucinations, a change, the relation of the self or any sort of ego dissolution? Um, so the ASC is going to tell us maybe perhaps a little less specifically, but it's going to tell us something about um, how the individual was feeling during this entire experience.
0: Yeah. It includes things like, you know, classic psychedelic stuff, hallucinations, hypnotic states, trans states, like you know, kind of assessing the experience of it all, not just, you know, the physiological or the psychotic.
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh, So all scale scores are given as a percentage of the maximum scale value. They also (laughs) monitored physiological changes like blood pressure, heart rate, um, along with any adverse events or severe adverse events.
0: Yes, which we'll get into a little bit about kind of those uh, after we go over the demographics and the timeline, so what about <laughs> demographics, right? Um, well, we mentioned this is in Switzerland, uh, so naturally, uh, this majority Caucasian. Uh, they did actually have a lot of females, so that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mean age was about thirty years old, and then the participants were generally well educated. They found in So this is something that we wanted to take note of. So they found that 19.2% of people in the psilocybin group had previous psychedelic experiences compared to 42.3% in the placebo group. Mm -hmm. Um, So keeping in mind that we've talked a lot about this before, but expectation bias is a very real thing. If you know how these drugs work and you, you know, read anything in the news, you know, that you might be expecting a certain outcome. Um, but again, these are relatively standard distributions. So,
1: Yeah. I do want to notice something interesting that I just noticed as you read this out loud to us is that there was less individuals with previous psychedelic experience in the psilocybin group than there were in the placebo group. I wonder if they purposely distributed it that way. Like... I, But I don't think so because that you, wouldn't, is it you wouldn't be able to assignment? do that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... I think how interesting, right? Um, How interesting that worked out.
0: Hmm, Yeah. Well, another important part of this study. (laughs) And another cool part of this study, what makes it a little different, is the dose. Mm -hmm. So um, the dose that they use, and they say in the text, is 0.215 milligrams per kilograms. And so this is considered moderate, um, but it is significantly less than what we've seen in some other clinical trials. So they even note in their introduction that most of the similar, you know, psilocybin depression studies uh, use doses around 25 milligrams, and some even up to 30 milligrams. Um, 30. Or they use, yeah, I found one study that they mentioned yeah. 30. Or they use really small doses of psilocybin for, you know, quote unquote microdosing studies, um, and that's. So seem seemingly smaller, like one to five milligrams. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So when you do the math, right, and they also provide this example, bless them, because I didn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> but they say for you know a seventy kilogram person, they would receive about fifteen. Uh, milligrams, and so this sits nicely between those higher doses and those really small micro doses. And it's also important to note that unlike other studies, they only gave the psilocybin once, so this wasn't a repeated dosing, and it wasn't a crossover. This is one group, one dose, moderate dose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With that in mind, uh, Zarmine will take us through kind of like the the timeline, and so you can see when they're getting the dose versus all these integration sessions and preparation sessions.
1: Yeah. So, um, there, I'm going to give you guys a rough outline of how this worked. So for the baseline period, there were two preparatory visits and that's pretty standard that you have individuals come in and spend some time with the therapist and sort of get to know the team and, Um, learn about the procedures and everything that's going to happen and also take all those various skills, right? So um, I think super important part of of any clinical trial. Um, So there were two preparatory visits, as I just mentioned, with a trained therapist. um, And 26 individuals got allocated to the control group and to the experimental group. Um, After that, they received their intervention. Right. So this is going to be the drug dosing day. Um, And this was immediately, you know, after they had gone through uh, being sorted and, and having their preparatory visits one day after they have their dosing session. I do believe. Yeah. Um, and then after that, there are three integration visits. So almost follow-up visits and that's where the outcomes are going to be, uh, measured. Um, and there were three of those. And I think 24 individuals out of the psilocybin group compared to 25 individuals out of the placebo group actually, uh, ended up making it to the end of all three integration visits, but that's a rough sort of outline of how all of that went.
0: Yeah, and the integration visits were conducted on – or two days, eight days, and then 14 days after administration.
1: So sorry. Didn't even give you guys any context there. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, up to 14 days was the the final um, sort of session. Two weeks. That's pretty good
0: looking at, you know, some post-acute effects.
1: Yeah, it's too bad. I wish it was longer. I wish it was longer.
0: Well, so maybe they want to – I mean, you, we should, we should ask Dr. Preller, right? But, <laughs> um, or Dr. Vollenweider and like, maybe they're doing a follow-up and they're going to send, you know, out for, who knows? Sometimes that happens. They yeah, work, no part of sure. it, I so. pull it. I hope so. I feel up. like
1: that would be so interesting, especially because of the jokes that we have in this study here, right? To yeah. see if there are long lasting, 14 days, you know, considered long lasting. We do consider that to be a lasting. Um, well, consider- it would be interesting- Three months, six months, up to a year.
0: Well, considering
1: that, you know, your typical antidepressants, uh,
0: like your SSRIs take two to three weeks to even work in the first place. Yeah, week. to even start so working. So if you're already work. getting, you know, a potential therapeutic effect at two weeks, that's better than what we have. <laughs>
1: 100%. 100%. But so um, let's talk yeah. about the results. <laughs> sure, what happened? Okay. All right. So for the results. Across, <laughs> let me tell you the results. I'm so excited about them, guys. Uh, so, what was the big result? Um, big result, super interesting, is the psychedelic group and the placebo group both actually remained significantly lower than their baseline scores um, after. All of, their, all of the interventions. Um, but even more interestingly, the psychedelic group also remained significantly different from the placebo group at all time points measured. Um, so what we saw was that the psychedelic group showed significantly lower scores on both of the primary measures up to 14 days after initial dosing. And remember, the lower the score, the the sort of better, right? Better um, subjectively better. because Yes, exactly. Because there's now lower scores on those uh, self-rated depression inventory and that clinician rated depression inventory.
0: But Zarmin, wait, you just said that the placebo group was also like lower than baseline. So what's going on?
1: Yes, I did just say that, Elena. How how curious, curious and curious, this study. So <laughs> We just talked about it, but the decreases in the scores for both groups can honestly be explained by the psychotherapy component, um, which is clearly beneficial with or without a psychedelic assisted. Component, and I think that that is so interesting, and I feel like um, this study, you know, the results are incredible, and I think part of that is is the fact that we see such a clear difference with um, just the placebo group as well, which we do also see in other clinical trials, right? And this is a conversation that people are having, like, oh, imagine that we had all the resources in the world to just even provide you know, quality psychotherapy one-on-one to individuals that, you know, so many people could benefit from even without any drug intervention. So, right. I
0: I mean, I hope like, so results like this always make me think about like in the ideal world. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even say psychedelics never even end up working, you know, which obviously we have promising studies like this one suggesting otherwise, but say like, you know, say we didn't, and all of these studies told us was that people going to therapy and having access to mental health and resources makes them better. Like, I think that's a huge takeaway that people need yeah. to be thinking about a little bit more, how important it is to give people access and give people individualized medicine. Like, I just think that's something that, you know, I could talk about that all
1: day and rant about that all day, but we um, will, and we will in future yeah. episodes. Don't you, <laughs> don't you worry listeners.
0: So that's just something that I think is really cool coming out of this
1: study and and some other studies as well. So yeah, a hundred percent. Okay. So that was the outcomes on the primary endpoints, right? But we also talked about some secondary endpoints. So for the secondary endpoint, uh, we saw significant decreases in anxiety, depression, psychoticism, crazy, Mm -hmm. uh, phobic anxiety, and the global severity. Uh, for specifically for the psychedelic group as compared to the placebo group. Um, and they also did one of my favorite analyses that we see across uh, sort of psychedelic studies. They did a correlation analysis between the global intensity score um, and the Madras uh, depressive symptomatology score. So the global intensity score is going to tell you something about um, how subjectively intense the score, was, uh, the score, excuse me, the trip was um, for the participant. So how intense their experience and mind you, this could be both positive and negative, right? Because intensity, yeah, intensity doesn't mean, oh, this was intensely amazing. It could have also been intensely negative or, you know, not, um, the most comfortable thing for an individual to experience. Um, So, yeah, so this was an intensity score uh, correlated with the depression uh, score. So they found that the correlation in the placebo condition was just P equals 0.059, which for people that are not familiar with P stats was not significant. Um, So this was trending towards significance, right? We are at 0.059, but we're not significant. We're not less than 0.05. And this could be for several reasons. Um, So there's a few things, right? So I think maybe that we could have targeted the measures a little bit more directly. So this global intensity score is made up of, I think, items taken from the ASC and um, I forget what else, but there can be an argument made that maybe we're not specifically targeting the measure, the outcome measure that we're trying to define as global intensity. So that's one thing. Um, Another thing is it could be, you know, Elena mentioned earlier something really incredible about this study. It could have been the dose because this dose is a moderate dose, right? Um, But comparatively to other studies of its nature, you know, studies that have outcomes, like incredible results and outcomes like this on things like the Madras, the BDI, and have as many participants as that as this study did. um, It's it's a lower dose comparatively. Um, So perhaps this is some dose response, right? At this low, were dose maybe mm, something something about this the scales isn't p- picking up intensity accurately or maybe i think that could fast- be that could be one reason
0: i think a fascinating study would be to do like a dose response in people like so give you know a low a mid and a high dose over you mm. know obviously a course of a long time but um and then doing serotonin occupancy correlated mm-hmm. with scores like on the global intensity or on the madras like like bringing all of that together because no study has brought all of those things together we don't even know like, and what you know, do you think like,
1: what do you think in because as, as a behavioral pharmacologist as a pharmacologist what do you think we would <laughs> see with the 5-HT2A occupancy and intensity do you, do you think that it's going to be well, a, so a it, clear sort of
0: there's been okay. a really great study done specifically with like serotonin to a octancy and plasma levels of serotonin mm-hmm. with just like the like intensity ratings but no one's done that those together with potential therapeutic effects. As far as I know, there hasn't been a study looking at the correlation of all three cuz you know, it's a big argument do you need the subjective effects for the therapeutic effects, but so yeah. far we've only focused on like a tiny aspect of that. So I think like you know, as a pharmacologist, I love a dose response. <laughs> and and I don't honestly know what we would see. I feel like global intensity definitely would go up with higher doses. And, mm-hmm. you know, would those higher doses necessarily prove to be better for depressive symptomology scores?
1: I don't know. We'll have to –
0: somebody do the study to find out.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And something interesting to think about here, what if certain doses – correlate better to changes in these scores for certain types of psychiatric conditions, right? Like we have treatment resistant depression. We have just global depression. We have anxiety. We have very specific types of anxieties, PTSD. What if, you know, there's something maybe dose dependent for one or the other. I think there's so many questions. It's, it gets so fun and interesting to think about everything and all the possibilities out there. But if anyone's listening and would love to fund endless studies and, any grad students, potential grad students out there. There's so much to do. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think, you know, that's why
0: studies like this are so great because they, we talk about them, we talk about the things they didn't do, but the great things that they did do and it just prompts us with more ideas. Yeah, exactly. That's what science is about. That's what these studies are about. Inspiration and learning more and continuing to open more doors when we are, you know, reading these, so.
1: Yeah, tell us a little bit about this idea of, responders and non-responders because that's something that they did something like that they did interesting in this study I think
0: yeah so I love a split group you know I love a bimodal distribution (laughs) so they have um, in figure three they are looking at you know the association of the treatment response with the subjective effects so they're looking at their all their secondary measures and then they have this graph specifically focusing on um, the ASC global score. So they break it up into non-responders and responders and for both the placebo and the psilocybin groups. And they're showing like a really nice um, distribution plot. And uh, they found when they looked at this statistically that uh, there was no significant differences when comparing these global intensity scores between treatment responders and non-responders at Mm -hmm. the 14 day Um, like post follow-up in the psilocybin condition. So people who got psilocybin, they didn't really find any differences in people who responded to psilocybin or not. And so, you know, one would ask, how are they defining responder and non-responder rate? That's really important when you're talking about these statistics. Um, And so they basically just define them according to that response criterion for the Madras that we talked about earlier. So if there is a 50% symptom reduction and or a decrease below that um, remission threshold. So I believe it was below 10, right, on the score?
1: Yes, 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 yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so that is for changes between that first follow-up visit, so the visit on the second day, and then the the visit 14 days later. Um, so the whole point of this was to show that, you know, we are getting – People who are not responsive, you know, to the psilocybin in the ways that, you know, others, you know, were. But uh, there wasn't anything statistically different about them at that last day follow up.
1: Super cool. Um. Also, along with this, we mentioned earlier that they measured adverse events, any adverse events that had occurred. Um, They were very low in this study, with most of them being typical for psychedelic experiences. Uh, They did note 11 adverse events. None were severe. Some were headaches and dizziness um, and being likely related and others being maybe or maybe not related. Um, But those were everything was pretty mild, I think.
0: Yeah, they had no no severe things at all.
1: Yeah, Um, which is great. We love that. (laughs) Although not to say, not to say that, you know, having symptoms is mild, but comparatively to like suicidal ideation, which I'm, I think I'm glad that they didn't report. So, right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So
0: we just gave you a lot of information. (laughs) Um, Hopefully we like had enough tangents, uh, that you kind of were able to digest some of the information. Um, but I just wanted to just quickly summarize, um, the major finding, and this is taken, um, like pretty much just from their paper, I thought it was a really nice like paragraph um, before mm-hmm. they get into the discussion. So, both the clinician-rated and the self-reported depressive symptom severity scales favored psilocybin over placebo. So, at the 14-day follow-up, they had a 58% in the madras and a 54% in the BDI of the participants um, in the <laughs> psilocybin <Hey. laughs> condition that met criteria for a treatment response. Um, And there was 16% in the Madras and 12% with the BDI of participants in the placebo condition. Mm -hmm. So this is all to say basically um, that while there was some response in the placebo condition in both of those surveys, the response with the psilocybin group at the 14-day follow-up was a lot greater. Um, and then they looked at all the effects reported from several pairwise comparisons, and those remained significant even after they did a statistical correction method um, to account mm-hmm. for multiple comparisons. And that's something that is really important. A lot of people don't think to correct, um, but that's just a little stats thing that we. Like to note, um, and then they, they note that uh, the present results support the hypothesis that a single moderate dose of psilocybin produces clinically significant antidepressant effects in major depression uh, patients compared to placebo condition, controlling for the adjunctive psychological support. So that's our little summary. Obviously, every study has its pros and cons, and we love to talk about them here. Um, so. Is that mean? Do you want me to start, or do you want to give your biggest pro and like your biggest con of this study?
1: You know what? I could do this. So I. Um, I don't think it's a secret. I was very, very excited about this study. I think it's very well done. And um, what a boon to psychedelics literature to have a different dose. I think a, a dose that was, um, to me, much different from other studies that we've seen such significant results from, right, such interesting results from. So I'm really, really excited about the dose. Um, I'm really excited uh, about the fact that they reached their primary and secondary endpoints, right? Um, I think the biggest con of the study, uh, Elena and I were chatting a little bit before we hopped on, um, isn't even really a con. Um, I think that maybe we might be able to see this in the future, but I would have loved to seen longer uh, follow ups. Right. So at perhaps three months, at six months, at a year post dosing, two years post dosing, although, you know, two years is a little, you know, unheard of. But um, I would love to have seen much longer time points to see if a more moderate dose can have long Uh, sort of longer lasting, I think, outcomes. So I think that would have been my only, my biggest thing with this, but that's all.
0: Yeah. And I think those are really good points. Um, For me, I think my biggest pro is that we have a therapy comparator. I've been waiting for this for (laughs) so long. Like I'm just super excited that this is like one of the first studies to actually look at you know is the adjunctive therapy doing the the specific analysis and and i think honestly this might lead us into just like everyone wants to talk about placebo and how we can't do a placebo in psychedelics but what if the placebo isn't another active pharmacological thing but the therapy itself i don't know something to think about Mm -hmm. um you know when we it's hard to blind for you know something so psychoactive as psychedelics um so some food for thought there let us know what you think about that and then I think my biggest con is, I mean, it was just, it was a very well done paper. It's kind of hard to think of one, but like yeah, I, right? you know, <laughs> dose responses, I love to see them. Obviously, that takes a lot more time, money, and recruitment. Um, and then um, I think, though, something that could have been done a little bit more with the survey data and um, is looking more into non-responders. I'm really into that. I think like focusing on the people who didn't respond and why is like very important. And, um, yeah, I know they have like some supplemental stuff as well. So, um, and that they talk about, um, inter individual differences in responders in some of their supplemental figures. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely do that. Um, but yeah, I would love to just see a whole study focused on (laughs) non-responders. (laughs)
1: agreed I think that would be really interesting because what we learn there we can equally uh, apply to responders right like why don't these individuals respond and what can we do to change that or or is there a reason xyz whatever so many questions
0: so many questions but (laughs) yeah this has been a great paper and you know if any of the authors are listening please reach out to us Um, please do (laughs) Uh, And we
1: hope we did your paper justice if you're listening. Yeah. So thank you so much for tuning into the episode today. We hope you guys continue listening, sharing, and chatting with us about any topics you want covered. um, Or if you guys have any comments about literally anything. We love, love mail. (laughs) Uh, But these next two episodes will be focusing on drug policy featuring special guests we are going to offer some unique perspectives on current climate of psychedelic drug policy. Um, this is Elena's jam. So <laughs> I'm equally as excited as you guys probably are to hear these next few episodes. So stay tuned, everyone. And talk yes. to you soon. Talk to you soon.